Okay. I'm going to preach on the book of Leviticus, the whole book. So we're going to be here for about five hours. <laughs> I want you to underline this verse in your, in your Bible, Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 20. Can everybody hear me? Leviticus 20 and verse 26. Sorry, 20 and verse 26. Yes. If you want to understand the whole book of Leviticus, it is put in a capsule, and that capsule is chapter 20 and verse 26. And it says, You are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. I have set you apart to be my own. So do this for me. Put your name wherever it says you. Okay, put your name wherever it says you. So I'm going to read mine and say, Emmanuel is to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set Emmanuel apart from the nations to be my own. So if you put your name in there, you see what God is doing in your life. In the book of Exodus, God told Moses and the children of Israel how the temple, the tabernacle where God is to be worshipped, how they are to build it. Sections that they are to be set apart. Holy of holies. The place where the Gentiles are to be. And on and on and on and on. It was said for them, this is the house where God is to be worshipped. Now, in Leviticus, the instruction for building the house is now over. The instruction in the book of Leviticus is how to worship God. How you are to worship God. Now I know many of you probably said, I've read Leviticus so many times, just full of laws. Just full of rules. It's probably because you didn't understand it. The book of Leviticus is about the holiness and the worship of God. The holiness and the worship of God. The book is named after Levites. Uh, Levi, I, I know that there was somebody in Marine City named Levi. Uh, okay. The, the Levites came from Levi. They were the descendants of Levi, and Levi was the third son of Jacob. Now, in the Old Testament, in order for you to be a priest, you have to come from the line of Levi. And at one point in the Old Testament, there were up to 50,000 Levites. And their job basically was that of priesthood, priestly 
sacrifices, offerings, and leading in the worship of God. They were not prophets, like we said, who received the word from God and give to men. They were priests who brings the worship of God, the sacrifices of the people, the worship of the people, and present them to God. Lead the people in worshiping God in the way that God should be worshipped. So, in this book, we have rules for offerings, the priesthood, sacrifices for sins, the rules for spiritual living before God. But in the New Testament, as we read the New Testament, we see God is doing something totally new. In Jeremiah, God says, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring in a new law, a new thing that is to happen among my people. Now, let's read two scripture verses and then I'll get into my points. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. So some of you see how some of our questions this morning related to some of the things we read. Hebrews chapter 7. Are you still with me? Verses 23 through 27. And then I'm going to run to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 27. Now there have been many of those priests. You remember the priests we talked about? The Levites? There have been many of them. Since death prevented them from continuing in office because but because Jesus lives forever he has a what? permanent priesthood so who is our permanent priest? okay and he came from what line? Okay, he is related to the line that is to do the priestly services. He is above all. Now, listen very carefully. I'm going, I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests. He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Are you still following me? Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. 
How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Jesus came into the world. If you read the genealogy in Matthew and you read the genealogy in Luke, they try to connect Jesus to what has gone before. Because he came from a lineage that's called the lineage of David. But when Jesus comes, He comes as God and man and transcends any tradition. Transcends any tradition. Now Jesus does for us what the priest was doing and the priest had to offer sacrifices for himself first. And it's still going on today. You have the priesthood, and we are all priests, right? How many of you believe we are all priests? Raise your hand. Okay. If you belong to Christ, you are a priest. Now, some of us don't believe we are priests because we don't do anything. Amen? You can't be a priest and just sit down in church and do absolutely nothing. I'm waiting. You guys are so quiet. Did my accent change or You see, so Jesus comes and Jesus brings in something new. For if you read in uh, Peter, it says, you are what? You are a royal priesthood. You are God's people. You are a holy nation that you may declare. So a priest doesn't just be a priest because you're a priest. You're a priest because you have something to do. You might declare the wonderful praises of God who has brought you out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. So true worship, true worship is not divorced from the life you lead. Let me put it in a theological way so that some of you theologians will understand. True orthodoxy leads to true orthopraxy. <laughs> what
What is orthodoxy? Orthodoxy is doctrine, what you believe. Orthopraxy is what you do. What you believe leads to what you do. If you say, I'm a priest, then you ought to act like a priest. Okay, three points. Actually, this is a two-part message. I'm going to do first part today, next, then the second part next week. So, to a Christian, what does this mean? What does it mean to worship God? What does it mean to recognize the holiness of God? What does it mean to me? What should it mean to you? First, true worship is sacrifice. Now, let's read Leviticus 1, Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. If somebody finds it before I do, just go ahead and read it. Leviticus 1, 2, 1, and 2. Uh, 2 and 3, sorry. Actually, read all three verses. <laughs> Alright. What are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to bring? Burnt offering. It's not just sacrifice. Because there are different sacrifices. But here they are to bring what? Burnt offering. How many of you have ever burnt your food? I remember one time I went to a restaurant with Dick and Allen and we were getting ready to order our food and they came and they said, how do you want your meat done? And the waitress said, do you want it rare, medium rare or well done? And Dick and Allen said, cremate it. (laughs) Now, I know that that waitress did not miss the message. When something is burnt, you don't eat it anymore. If I, some of you that try to eat it, what you do, you scrape and scrape and scrape and scrape. So that thing that is burnt is separated from that which is not burnt. Especially if you don't have time to cook nothing else. <laughs> Now, God wants us as a burnt offering. What does burnt offering mean to a Christian today? It's total commitment. If some part of you is still not burnt, you can't worship God. That's why some of us want to look pretty in worship. Amen. I want to see how some of you clap when the 49ers score a touchdown. (laughs) 
you see? Did you hear that? Everybody heard that. I want to see more of that in our worship of God. Remember now, true orthodoxy leads to what? True orthopraxy. If you truly believe that you have been sacrificed to God, Frida doesn't own me, and I don't own Frida. Frida shouldn't be, you know, thinking, I wonder what Emmanuel's going to tell me when I get home today. I, I worship, I was crying, and I was on the floor, and I did this, and you know, and you embarrass me. That's the way many of us think. Amen? I know you're quiet. You're quiet. I won't tell you now. Some of you say, well, he just came from Africa. He's hot. <laughs> Let me tell you, you are not totally committed to God when worship starts at 11 and you get here at 1130. I don't care what you've been doing. That means God has been placed second. He can't be second if you're totally burnt. No part should belong to you. It's been given to God. It's all to God. Now, I wish, I wish I had time, but I don't have time. You know, that, read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. What did Paul say? I have been what? Oh, I'm sorry. Therefore, that, I'm looking at, I'm way ahead of myself. I'm thinking of Galatians now. You know, but, but let's look at uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore... Well, that's the King James. Let's look the uh, NIV. Therefore, I urge you what? In view of God's mercy, to do what? Which is your what? Worship. Did you see how worship and sacrifice come together? Amen. Offer your body's living sacrifice. In other words, you are a dead living one. You have been totally burnt. But you're still alive. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians when he said, uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I do what? I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm no longer living for myself. Sacrifice. You know what sacrifice is? Many of us don't. You can tell. Because we just do what we want. Living sacrifice. Look at Abraham. 
taking his son to be sacrificed. You think he wanted to do what he wanted? Sacrifice. <laughs> we had a real funny experience while we were in uh, Benin. I got up this morning. Dr. Rose was with us after she had treated, she treated by herself probably up to, I don't know, 100 people uh, one day at the hospital. And then I got this great idea. Sunday morning we were getting ready to go to church. And I said, Dr. Rose, we still have a, a, a box, uh, a suitcase full of medicine. Can we go ahead? We go to this church. After service, I'll ask the pastor, anyone sick should stay after? Oh, was that a mistake? I said, we will treat people for one hour. The service started at uh, 9 o'clock and it ended at 11 and we were still there at 6 p.m. Treating people. Even those of us that had no medical knowledge. <laughs> Dr. Rose said, look in there. Is there something in there? You know, we look, we look. But anyway, I'm telling this story to tell you, a man came up there and sat in front of Dr. Rose with her stethoscope and blood pressure medicine, uh, uh, measuring things and everything, and uh, said, what is your problem? And the translator said to him, he's saying, I mean, she's saying, what is your problem? And he said, in French, I have a problem every time I read, and when it's time for the exam, everything just flies out of my head. And I just broke out laughing. <laughs> I say, ah, I used to have that problem when I didn't read well. <laughs> and Dr. Rose, she was very professional. She said, well, pray to God for photographic memory. <laughs> But the point is, you cannot say you are a living sacrifice when you have not sacrificed anything. Even the time you come to worship, there is no sacrifice in there because you just come whenever you want to. That's why we have empty pews, empty chairs today. A bunch of people say, oh, I've been crucified with Christ. You're lying. You've not been crucified with Christ when you come to church twice a month. I wish I had time. Totally committed to Christ. If we're to worship him, you can't worship him until you've been burnt totally. You can't worship him until you no longer live according to this world. You can worship him. You can be you can be going out Saturday boogieing every all night and then want to come here and worship God. It ain't gonna happen. You're gonna be thinking about all those people you've been boogieing with and while we're singing, oh that's all you're thinking about. Anyway, let me let me go on. How much time do I have left? 
<laughs> Let's look. Number two. I only have three points. Number two. Obedience. Let's look at Leviticus 7 and verse 38. Whoever finds this, you read it. Leviticus 7 and verse 38. In fact, let me go back to 37. These then are the regulations for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the fellowship offering, which the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai on the day he did what? Commanded the Israelites to bring their offering to the Lord in the desert of Sinai. Do you think he wanted them to do it? Reggie, please stand. Do you think I would say that to Reggie if I didn't want him to stand? You may be seated. The Lord commanded. If the Lord gave them the law, it's because he wanted them to do it. Amen. Why do you see those big 55 on the highway? The state of California just loves to waste their money painting 55 across the nation. When you see something big red and it has white S-T-O-P and you do what they call the Louisiana slowdown <laughs> and you just kept going. The signs are not there so you can look at them and say, how pretty. What a stop sign. <laughs> that was uh, about two or three years ago. Some young people in Petaluma died needlessly. Because there was a sign. It was just a, an arrow that pointed like this and basically said, slow down. But they didn't. I don't know if they're in heaven or hell right now. Signs are there. Commands are there for our good. Now, the laws are there, but thank God that even in the New Testament, God deals with us not by law, but by grace. But remember this. Remember this. Many of us like grace, don't we? I love grace. Amen. I love grace. That's, that's the reason why my wife is still with me. She has grace on me. Just about every other day. <laughs> And that is, I believe, the only way that we Christians can relate to one another is by grace. Amen. 
I love grace. When I was a teacher at the seminary, I would give the students grace period. But then I would tell them, once you don't submit your paper on the day you're supposed to submit it, I give you grace. But grace means you ain't going to get the same grade that the person who submitted it on time is going to get. That's grace. Grace is not just a big old zero with no boundary. Now listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For what? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To just say grace. To do good works which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. That's what grace is. And grace demands obedience. I don't have time to read all to you, but I'm going to read some passages to you. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 22 says, uh, We should not say we're pleasing God by our sacrifices says, obedience is what? Better than sacrifice. And to listen to him. You know, to listen in the Bible means to do. To listen rather than the part of rhyme. Listen to him. Listen to what he says. Do what he says and it's better than bringing sacrifices. Rituals, rituals, rituals. I am so long-winded. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read very just some portions of Ephesians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5. Just listen carefully. Who is he talking to here? Christian said... Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and so on and so on. And in this passage, it actually says in the Greek, whatever becomes light is light. Whatever light shines upon becomes light. 
And because light has shone upon you, you are now light. You're not like light. You don't just shine light, but you are light. And light has nothing to do with darkness. It tears it apart. Number three, the last point. Some of you say, Amen. The last point. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. If you find it, read it. 10, 10. Go ahead. All right. So basically what, if we're going to truly worship God, we must be totally committed. We must be burnt offering, presented to God. Not only that, we must be obedient to God if we're truly going to worship Him. I can tell you that Sunday doesn't happen just out of the flash. Before Sunday, there was Saturday. And there was Friday. And that was Thursday. And on and on. You don't live in vacuum. The reason why you don't come to church on Sunday is not because you were tired. It's because you've been tired all week. If you've been avoiding the Lord all week, why you want to go see Him on Sunday? So it's telling us you must distinguish between clean and unclean. You cannot be a true Christian if everything is the same to you. You can't be a true Christian. In the book of Leviticus has many ritual washings and washings. You wash something because it is dirty and stained. And you want it clean. Unless you have the washing disease, you don't just wash because you want to wash. You only wash because it's dirty, contaminated, unclean. Let me tell you a story. It's a true story. I love eating bread. French bread is the best bread in the world. The French know how to make bread. And you know what they call bread in French? Du pain. It even sounds good. <laughs> well, I've been, when, when I was growing up, my father was take us to Kotonou from Nigeria and we couldn't wait because in Nigeria all we had was sliced bread and all those English, British bread. And, but when we get to Kotonou, they have French bread, Dupin. And we just couldn't wait. That's one of the highlights of our visit. And I've always liked French bread in Africa. 
But this time, I just happened to go to one of the uh, fancy restaurants in, in Africa, in the whole of Africa, in Bini especially, it's called the Pantagruel. And my uncle was the chief cook there. And I had the freedom to kind of roam around. And I saw them making the bread and piling them up. And I saw this lady, this well-dressed, in her uniform and everything, taking the bread out of the place where they got them. And, and she was sweating and she did this. Grabbed the bread. And went again. I was waiting for her to blow her nose. I was waiting for her to blow her nose and keep going. And I got home and I told my brother, I said, no more Dupin. <laughs> I don't want to eat anything contaminated. <laughs> and I told my brother, oh, Joe, and I said, I don't want to eat Dupin anymore. And he said, why? I said, I saw how they piled them up today. He said, what did you see? You know, and I told him everything. He said, oh, we, we're used to that. Those are the vitamins. <laughs> now, let, let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. God wants us as his people to be clean. We need to distinguish between that which is clean and that which is unclean. It's clean. It's okay to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's unclean to go to bed with them when you're not married to them. They defile your body. Now listen to this. Since we have these promises, what are the promises that we have? We have a great high priest over the house of God. We have this in us that God has created in us a new life. We have a new life. The old has gone. The new has come. What do we have? We have eternal promises that God has prepared a place for us and we're going to go to that place one day. We have these promises. We have these promises that the enemy cannot overcome us because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have these promises that we are overcomers. Let us purify ourselves from what? Everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. 
Next week, we're going to talk more about some of those things that contaminates the body and how God wants us to live. So the book of Leviticus is not just book of laws. It's about God's holiness and what he has called us to. Let us pray.